for you to open your Bibles to Romans, the eighth chapter in the first verse. Uh, Sunday, um, we talked about a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, right? And uh, we were going to do uh, no more part two. So we'll do no more part two tonight. In Romans, the eighth chapter in verse one, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Everyone say no more condemnation, no more guilt for me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So to qualify for no condemnation, all you got to do is come to Christ. Amen? And then, of course, live for Him. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we know this, that condemnation brings a sense of feeling guilty. It brings a sense of deserving punishment. Guilt and shame can be an extremely cruel taskmaster. Reminding us of our sins and all that we have failed to do in the past. Robs of peace, robs of boldness. How many of you know the enemy works overtime because he's after your faith? We just quoted it. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So he wants to rob us of our confidence. Someone said so aptly that condemnation is the confidence killer. But I'm looking at a congregation, I believe, tonight that has no condemnation in their life. No more. Now, I begin to look at different scriptures about no more. The scripture talks about that when you come to Christ, He will remember our sins no more. He said, I even I am He that blots out your transgressions or your sins from me. And as far as, the, and I will not remember your sins anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sin or our transgressions from us. That's good news. That's really, really good news. And so then you and I can get to a place then because we have been purged and cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can begin to affect and impact our conscience and the way that we think. Seeing how he has no remembrance of sins, then I believe that he wants us to awake to righteousness where we are no longer sin conscious, but we are, amen, we have no more conscience of sin. So say it with me, no more condemnation and no more conscience of sin. Now, we also notice that in the end of the book of of this chapter, in Romans chapter 8, you might want to look at verse 38. In verse 31 uh, through 39, he talks about if God be for us, who can be against us? And who shall shall, uh, charge anything, you know, to the God's elect? Now notice with me in verse 37, I want to go. In verse 37, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. And then verse 38, he went on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. Next verse shall be able to separate us, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So since there's no more condemnation, he has no more remembrance of our sins, and our, our consciences have been purged from dead works to serve the living God, that means for you and I, there's no more separation between us and God. 
That means you can come boldly into the throne of grace. You can talk to your heavenly father because you belong to him. You're in him. He's in you. And you can come right into the living room of God, the throne room of God, and have a conversation with him. Amen? So, and then I want you to look over at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Going to look at the amplified version. Ephesians 2, 19. No more separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter where we've been or what we've done, if we've made the commitment to come to Christ, the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now notice this in Ephesians 2.19. It says, therefore you are no longer outsiders because there's no more separation. We're not outsiders. We're not exiles. We're not migrants. We're not aliens excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, consecrated and set apart for himself, and you belong to God's own household. Amen? No more separation. The middle wall partition came down through Jesus Christ. Now, of course, where did all of this begin? Where did all this guilty conscience stuff begin? Well, it began over in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis, the third chapter, the eighth verse, this is after they ate of the tree that they were told not to eat of. And uh, in verse 8 it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. I want you to pay particular attention to that. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Why? Because sin separated them from wanting to be in the presence of God. And verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He knew exactly where he was. In verse 10, And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. They They weren't even aware that they were naked before they sinned. They were naked and unashamed before then. Now they're naked and very ashamed. And what they did is they they hid themselves. And so it's been my observation, oftentimes people that get under a cloud of guilt and condemnation often hide out. They hide out. They hide out. They hide out from church. They become spiritual fugitives. You know, they just don't think that they're worthy enough to come to church. Hey, church is a place where you should come to when you feel unworthy. Because he took our unworthiness and put a robe of righteousness on us. Amen. So what happens many times is condemnation then pulls the rug out from under people's feet. But prior to this, Adam and Eve had been in the presence of God. They had absolute confidence and they were comfortable in the presence of God. Does not God want us to be comfortable in his presence? He is our Heavenly Father. He is our Dad. So they never, ever pulled back from Him before sin. They were never scared. They had absolutely no reservations. And how many of you know that's why God made us? And that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So God's plan from the very beginning is for us to have no fear... And to live in complete unbroken fellowship. 
So we see here from Genesis chapter 3 that sin opened the door to fear. Now, you ready for a nugget? Listen to this statement. You cannot be fear-free until you are guilt-free. You cannot be fear-free until you are guilt-free. As long as there is guilt, there will be fear. But I'm thankful that in the presence of God, there's no fear in love. You see, the love of God pushes fear away. The love of God inside of us turns fear out of doors, expels every trace of terror. And so thank God, you and I, we are faith-filled and fear-free and guilt-free. Say it with me, I am faith-filled. Fear-free and guilt-free. Now let's look at another one over in Luke chapter 5. And notice with me in verse uh, 1 of Luke the 5th chapter. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. These guys were hungry. They were looking for a miracle. They were believing God for greater things in their lives. Anybody believing for greater things in your life? How about greater things in your church? How about greater things in the Bay Area? We're praying for a Bay Area breakthrough. We're praying for rain in the time of the latter rain. How about 10 seconds of glory shouting? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We believe. We believe. We are not the unbelieving Thomases. We're the believing Thomases. This is not the unbelieving heart of the Bay Church. This is the believing church. Amen. And we believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And we believe to see the glory of God in greater dimensions. Amen. So they were hungry. And I'm thirsty. So they came upon to hear the word. Verse 2. And saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Wanted to use their boat. And he did. Don't you know that he ministered a good word that day? Now when he had left speaking, I wonder how long he spoke for. I wonder if they had a, you know, a little... uh, Reader's Digest tidbit, or whether he preached until he was done. Just a thought. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down what? Let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing, but nevertheless at thy word, I will let down the net. You know he's glad he did that. He was tempted not to. But he said, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. Now notice in verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I wonder what would have happened if they would have let down the nets rather than just a net. It's important to be obedient to the Lord. But you know, God blesses us in spite of ourselves sometimes. Amen? So they let down the net, 
Amen. And they had a ship sinking, glory to God, net breaking, too much blessing. I mean, these guys were blessed. They'd been out there all night and they didn't catch a thing. Got any fishermen in the house tonight? You ever been out fishing before and not catch anything? Yeah, I'm seeing some hands. It's not very encouraging. So I imagine, you know, they just wanted to go home and get some sleep. And, uh, you know, probably was tempted to say, Now, Jesus, we're fishermen by trade. You stick to preaching, we'll stick to fishing. But he said, Nevertheless, at your word. So as a result, everyone say they had a net breaking, ship sinking, too much blessing. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. This is a problem. Peter was very conscious of his sin. And when a person is sin conscious, it caused them to pull away. In other words, I can't be a part of that. I'm not good enough. Well, how many of you know, none of us in the natural realm are good enough. But he is good all the time. And he's put his goodness on the inside of you. So it caused him to run away from his goodness, to draw back in fear when he should be drawing near in faith. He said, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. This is too much. This is too good for me. Lord, you've got to get away from me. Get away from me. I can't handle this. Listen, friends, don't allow sin consciousness to rob you of the greater blessings God has for your life. I believe that as we sang tonight, the greater, I believe it includes greater blessing. I prophesy greater blessings upon this church. I prophesy greater blessings upon you in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, the more you become aware of who He is and who you are in Him, the more you become aware that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and all that the Father has belongs to Jesus, and you're in Him, so all that the Father has belongs to you. Oh, hallelujah. In spite of ourselves, we need to just get over ourselves, amen, and know that now we're new creations in Christ Jesus and we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And so also was James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. I like how Jesus diffused that sin consciousness. He said, Now, Peter... I don't want you to be afraid because from this day forth, you're going to catch men. In verse 11, it says, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Hallelujah. In other words, Peter, don't be afraid. From this day forward, you're going to be a fisher of men. Don't you know that did something for Peter? Jesus believed in him. It's good to have someone that believes in you. Don't you know that it brought Peter from a place of sin consciousness. It brought him up. It spoke faith into his heart. The love of God pushed that sin consciousness out, pushed that fear out. Hallelujah. What did he see? He saw love. He saw the love of God. Amen. Now, lastly tonight, 
I want you to look over at John chapter 8. I don't have a long word for you tonight. We're going to worship the Lord a little bit more. In John the 8th chapter. You guys are so quick and bright and sharp. You don't need a five hour message. (laughs) Hallelujah. John the 8th chapter. Verse uh, 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery... And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Evidently, they were a bunch of peeping Toms. A bunch of peeping Pharisees. How did they know that she was in the act of adultery if they weren't looking in on it? See, they had a plot. They had a scheme. The plots of man... And the schemes of man always come to naught by the greater one. Now notice, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Here's what Moses said, Jesus. But what do you say? This is a setup. Why do you say that? I say that because this is not about him contradicting. This is not about him stoning here. This is about making him look bad. They were so confident in his compassion. They knew that he wouldn't, they wouldn't, they, he wouldn't have her stoned. And their attitude is, we've got him. Now notice the next verse. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So get the picture. They're waiting for this answer. How many of you know that when you're operating in the wisdom of God, you don't have to yield to the pressure of man? You can look... On the inside. You can look to the greater one who lives in you. That's what he was doing. In verse 7. So when they continued asking him. He lifted up himself and said unto them. He that is without sin among you. Let him first cast a stone at her. He stood up. He said okay. He who doesn't have sin among you folks. Take the rock. Begin to stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Someone said he was probably writing their sins on the ground. (laughs) And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last or the youngest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Would you say that these guys were convicted? The oldest went out first. Why? Because they lived longer and obviously had made more mistakes. And in verse 10, it says, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? Verse 11. I want you to read verse 11 with me. Ready? Read. And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Let's read that last part. 
Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. If anyone was qualified to condemn her, it was him. But he didn't say, I do not condemn you. Or he did say, I don't condemn you. But he did not say that you didn't sin. He didn't tell her that her sin was okay. And yet, he didn't condemn her for the sin. And on the other hand, he didn't condone her sin. He didn't want her to feel bad. He didn't want to rake her over the coals. Because he's not the author of condemnation. He is in fact against the sin, but he's for the sinner. Hallelujah. And I think it's good for us to remember these things in our walk with God. Because there are things that come our way that will test our consciousness of our right standing with God. There are things that will, will, will try to drag us down and bring us into an inferiority mindset. And this is why, over in Corinthians, this is why he said, now, it's time to wake up. It's time to awake to righteousness. And when you awake to righteousness, you will not sin. In other words, the more aware we become and the more uh, conscious we are of our right standing with him, the less we'll want to dabble in sin. The less we'll want to yield to the tempter and to the temptation when it comes our way. Now, when you are, when we are righteous conscious, it has an effect on us. I want to look at a couple of these things tonight. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 32. And I want us to notice in verse 17. Isaiah 32. Somehow my Bible got wet last week and I don't know if it was oil or a bottle of water or something. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Now as we look at this, say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice what it says here. It says, and the work of righteousness, what will it be? In other words, when righteousness is working the way it should be working in our lives, we will have peace. We will have a sense of, like the word says, shalom. Which literally means nothing missing and nothing broken. When we know who we are, we have peace. We have peace. And when we have peace, that means we don't worry. We're worry-free. Glory to God. That's why the Bible says that we should keep our mind set on Him. And as we do, we will have perfect peace. Peace is precious, is it not? It's one of the things that righteousness will work in your life. Amen? Notice with me in Philippians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to go back to Isaiah 40, uh, Isaiah 32 in a moment. 
But notice with me in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 6, and we'll look right on through verse 8. Say with me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I have great peace. Hallelujah. Now notice here, be careful for what? How many things does God want us to worry about? How much does God want us to get upset in our daily lives? Zero. Say, say it with me. No more worry. No more fear. So be careful for nothing. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He didn't just tell us not to worry. He gave us access to pray about what we need the answer for. Amen? Now notice in the next verse, verse 7. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding, it shall keep your hearts and your minds... Through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now notice in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. So anything that doesn't line up with it being true or honest or just or pure or lovely or of a good report or virtuous or praiseworthy, we're not to think on those things. We're not, to, we're not even to allow them access into our thinking. Now, if we're not going to think on those things, we need to then make sure we're thinking right, believing right, and speaking right. Yeah. Amen? Amen? If we're not going to think on those things, then we need to cast those things down. Mm-hmm. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and notice with me in uh, verses 3 through 5 of 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. It says this, For we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not carnal, but what are they? Mighty Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Next verse. Casting down imaginations. In other words, those images that come to your mind that aren't lovely that aren't true, that are not of a good report, that are not virtuous, cast them down. Don't accept the images of defeat. Don't accept the images of dying young. Cast down imaginations. And every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God or the Word of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What we think 
is extremely important. In the book of Proverbs, he said this, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now the enemy is the master of bringing antichrist thoughts to the city of our soul. Those thoughts are not to be entertained. Those thoughts are not to be believed. Those thoughts are not to be spoken. But those thoughts are to be cast down. Amen? And you've got the word. You've got the name. You've got the blood. And you've got the Holy Ghost to help you cast those imaginations down. And so this this work of righteousness, this right standing with God that gives you access into the presence of God, that enables you to draw near to the throne of grace boldly, one of the works of that is peace. It's a peace beyond your comprehension. Hallelujah. Amen. Now go back to Isaiah 32. And notice with me again in verse 17. Isaiah the 32nd chapter in the 17th verse. It says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect, what kind of effect will righteousness have on us? The effect of righteousness shall be quietness and what else? Quietness and assurance forever. Hallelujah. We're talking about some blessed assurance right there. We're talking about having confidence. Amen? Confidence. Assurance in Him. Quietness. A stillness. A peace that passes understanding. Amen? Now go over to 1 John chapter uh, 5 and we'll look at verse 14. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. The effect of righteousness. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, but not just anything we can think up, but anything according to His will. His will. We could say it this way, His Word. Because His Word is His will. And when we have the Word, we can be confident. We can be assured. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will or according to His Word, He hears us. This is why it is so vital to get the Word. And find the word that covers your case. Amen. Amen. Now notice this verse in the Amplified Version of 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. In the Amplified Version it says, And this is And this is the confidence, the assurance. Everyone say assurance. Assurance. One of the effects of righteousness is assurance. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of what? The privilege of boldness. 
Didn't he say, come boldly to the throne of grace? Didn't he say in Proverbs 28 that the righteous are bold as a lion? And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure. Everyone say, we are sure three times. What about the rest of you? Are you unsure? Come on, say it a little louder. We are sure. We are sure. We are surely, surely, surely sure. This is the confidence. You see, condemnation is the confidence killer. But this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness that we have in Him. Glory to God. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request according to His will, in agreement with His own plan. How many of you know God's got a plan? Oh, what a God we serve. And oh, what a plan He has for all of us. In agreement with His own plan, He listens to... And he hears us. Think about that. Think about how many Christians are afraid to pray because of a con- condemnation consciousness. God wouldn't hear me. I'm telling you, when I grew up, I thought that a man had to do all my praying for me. I thought that I had no access into the presence of God that I had to go through a man. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ, hallelujah, is our high priest today? That if we make any requests according to his will in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. Now notice verse 15. Are you ready to shout? And if since we positively know, that's assurance. That's boldness. I positively know that it's God's will to heal you. I positively know that it's God's will to meet your need. I positively know that it's God's will for us to live guilt-free and fear-free. And since we positively know that He listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled, absolute knowledge... Hallelujah. That's assurance, folks. That's the work of righteousness in our life. That we have granted as our present possessions. Not going to get it sometime in the sweet by and by. But by faith, it's ours. We have it right now. Come on, somebody. Say it with me. Faith always ends with a glad confession. It's mine. I have it now. So we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted as our present possessions the requests we made of Him. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Say it with me. It's mine. I have it now. It's mine. I believe that I have received. It is mine. I have it right now. 
Glory to God. Let's give him some praise here. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We magnify your name. Glory to God. Oh, man, that does me good to read that. That we have granted us as our present possessions. Present. Present means right now. That's why I say it's mine. I have it now. Present possessions. You can be assured that it's yours today. Now look over at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And uh, notice with me in verse, uh, well, actually look at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 35th verse. And we want to look at that in the uh, King James Version, if you would. Hebrews 10, 35. If you have it now, and you're operating in faith, and you know that now faith is, and you know it's yours right now, but it hasn't manifested yet, this verse is for you. In verse 35. Cast not away, therefore what? Remember, condemnation is the confidence what? It kills confidence. But cast not away, therefore, your confidence. It has a big reward for you. Next verse, verse 36. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, what might you receive? You might receive the promise, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that will come will come and will not tarry, verse 38. Now the just shall live by what? By faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Glory to God. You see, it's your present possession. If you prayed and you believe that you have received, it's yours. It's yours right now. In other words, you don't have to have someone else pray for you about it again. Because if you're really in faith, you know it's yours. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a person praying with you and being in agreement with you. But going back and praying over again about the same thing over and over and over again and letting that request be made known unto God, my friends, that's not faith. That is not faith. Once you have established it and that you are in faith, you need to stand there. And take your bold stand. And then we come along and we set ourselves in agreement. We say, thank God, I agree with you in the name of Jesus. I call you healed. I call you blessed. I call you prosperous. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I can remember years ago, we were down in Branson, Missouri. And uh, we were having some fellowship with Brother Copeland and Sister Gloria and Brother Moore and his wife, Billy Brim. And uh, we were in this living room and we were talking about some various things about what the Lord had put in our hearts and some visions and some things that we had been standing on and believing God for. And at that particular time, uh, we were believing God for this building, for this building. 
And uh, we were standing on, on the word to get approval from the city for this building. If you don't know anything about the history of it, we had to go before the city of Hayward three times before we could get final approval to occupy a building that we owned. And uh, so, thank God. Remember, Pam, we got that seven to zero vote in our favor. Amen. I would have settled for four to three, but Pam said, no, it's going to be seven zero. Hallelujah. She was speaking by the spirit. And we did get a seven to zero vote in our favor. But I can remember talking to Brother Copeland about it. And uh, we were getting ready to leave. And he was about to, to walk out into the garage, into the car. And he just looked at me with those blue piercing eyes. And I told him that we're standing and we believe it's ours. We have it now. He just looked at me and he said, Mark, never change. Never change. I said, yes, sir. (laughs) You know what that means, never change? Don't waver. Cast not away your confidence. Stay in faith. Stand on the Word of God. And the Word of God will hold you up. The Word of God will keep you. And the Word of God will see to it that what you believe you have received as your present possession, it will see to it that the manifestation comes. Amen? But don't get all tripped out about how come it hadn't happened now. How come it hadn't happened now? I need to go to this meeting, that meeting, have Brother Super Duper pray for me and all that stuff. No, you've got a covenant with God. I said you've got a covenant with God. Stand on the eternal word of the living God. And God's word will come to pass in your life. Amen. Amen? How many of you are standing for things right now? Amen. Amen. So what do you do then between the amen and the here it is? got to water the seed. I said you got to water the seed. And how do you water the seed? Now, you take soil in the natural realm. You put a seed into the soil. What does that soil and that seed need for it to grow? It needs some sunshine. And it needs some water. Well, once you believe you have received, you need to let the sun in. The entrance of His Word gives light. Just keep putting the Word in you. The more Word you put in you, the more confident you will get. Amen? Amen. And then you water it with praise. Do we got any praisers in the house tonight? We we got any folks that are standing on the word tonight? Glory to God. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. (laughs) Glory to God. I said glory to God. There's a little boy that was hurting in his physical body and his daddy and the pastor prayed for him. And, and uh, he, in the, uh, the pastor or his dad said, well, it just won't be long till the manifestation happens. You know, we just stay strong, stay steady, hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Holding fast Amen. to the confession of your faith. And, and the little boy said, well... Daddy, he said, when, when's it going to happen? He said, just, you know, just stay strong. Stay strong. The manifestation's on its way. Finally, the little boy got a little impatient. and said, Daddy, Daddy, when's the man from the station going to show up? 
Hallelujah. Well, I believe the man from the station is turning the corner for you and for me. How about that? Let's all stand up and give God some praise tonight. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Well, I just wanted you to see a few things about not drawing back, just staying put, drawn near, standing on the word. You got your present possession. Amen. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says that now faith is. Now faith is. Pull up Hebrews 11, 1 as they're getting ready. We're going to have some praise here just for a few moments before we go home, before we receive the offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews, the 11th chapter in the first verse. Read that with me. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Read it one more time. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now notice this phrase, now faith is. Back in 1975, I heard Fred Price teach on Hebrews 11.1. In those days, there was no one better that could teach on faith than Kenneth E. Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, and Fred Price. And Brother Fred said, now faith is. He said, faith is always present tense. He said, if it's not now, it's not faith. Remember that. Because a lot of people are putting it off into the future, but faith is present tense. So put your hand over your heart and say, it's mine. Now faith is. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen.